returning to the book of uh, Joshua tonight again. Did I mention something last week about finding out the number of books where we read about Caleb? Did I mention that? Did you remember? I see one or two people nodding their head, but others are sitting in the days. I also mentioned the six references to the fact that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Now, can anybody help me at all? Did anybody get uh, the six uh, books of the Bible? Yes, Mel. Sorry? Numbers 13, verse 6. Numbers 13. That's the first reference to Caleb. Okay. Mel, will you hand your hand up there? Yes. That's there. I, now, this is a lady who's given me this. She's not here tonight. You might know who she is, but she's right in a way. She's got to be. I'd be in trouble when I go home. <laughs> Anybody else? Yep, that's it. Anybody else? Joshua, yeah, Joshua's the book anyway. Yes. Numbers. First Chronicles. First Samuel. So we've got the six books. All right. And we've got the first reference I have here, four, Joshua, our Numbers 14, 24, Deuteronomy 1, 36. And in Joshua, uh, we have uh, three references, and I'll come to read those in a minute. Numbers 32, verse 12, uh, that's the six references to Holy Father the Lord. Am I, am I right? Everybody in agreement with that? All right. We'll read these verses uh, 7 tonight. We'll break into the chapter of verse uh, 7 of Joshua chapter 14, please. I will be referring to Joshua 13 as well and, and Numbers uh, 14, but we'll, we'll take our Bible reading from Joshua chapter 14, and we'll break into the chapter at verse 7. Uh, and Joshua is actually speaking here. And he said, 40 years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord. And that's a wonderful title that's given to Moses. Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But... I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because, there's got to be a reason for it, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. Isn't that true? And he said, These forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, though I am this day fourscore and five years old, as yet I am as strong this day 
as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. May God bless his word to all of our hearts. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, stands out in Scripture as a great hero of the faith. There's no doubt about that. And he's certainly one of the most inspiring and colorful uh, characters that we meet with in the Bible. How deep and yet how simple was the secret of his greatness. And in Joshua chapter 14, there's a threefold testimony to the secret of his life. We've read it there in those verses. He wholly followed the Lord. Now, in verse 8, there is his own personal testimony. Look at it for yourself and see. This is him speaking here. He says, Nevertheless, my brethren that went with me made the heart of the people melt. This is what he said, this personal testimony. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And that personal testimony is followed by the testimony of someone else other than himself. We have in verse 9 the testimony of Moses. This is what Moses saw. And Caleb, this is what Moses said about Caleb. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where all my feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. Because, here's the reason, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. So Caleb testifies, I wholly followed the Lord. Moses recognized that. He testified to the fact. And then, uh, more importantly, when you look down there at verse 14, you'll find the third reference in this chapter to this great truth. Look at verse 14. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because, there it is again, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. That's really what made Caleb an outstanding man. That's the very thing that made him an outstanding character. Not that he was more gifted than anybody else, not that he was uh, better educated than anybody else, not because he was more courageous than anybody else, but he was more obedient for the Bible says he wholly, or we could put down that word fully and wouldn't change the meaning at all, the sense of the text. He wholly or fully followed the Lord. And as his spiritual history shows, he was really an overcomer. And First John chapter 2 and chapter 5 has something to say about an overcomer. And the best illustration of overcoming in the Christian life is the life of an overcomer. The best proof of its possibility is that it has been done. And so we can see that it has been done. Caleb was an overcomer. He lived an overcomer's life. It has been done. 
It's therefore possible for people like you and me to achieve the same thing by the grace and mercy of God. So herein is the value of studying Caleb's life. Now, most Christians are people living comparatively obscure lives and are apt to think uh, that the overcoming life is reserved for a few privileged individuals with a distinct calling in life. To preach as he did, Peter needed to be spirit-filled. To write as John wrote, and he wrote the gospel, of course, first, second, and third John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. John needed to be filled with the spirit. And to be the foremost missionary of all time, the apostle Paul, he too needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we look at such men and we say, surely God does not expect me to live as they lived. Mm -hmm. Peter or Caleb was not a Peter. Caleb was not a John. Peter was not a Paul. He was just Caleb, an ordinary man living an extraordinary life because he was right with God. That made the difference, you see. It always does. An ordinary man living an extraordinary life. He was a man who wholly followed the Lord his God. In youth, in middle life and in old age, amid all the difficulties and all the trials of life and all the disappointments, he wholly followed the Lord. It is clear from my reading, my take of his life, take of his life, that he was an overcomer all through his life. And the focus tonight will be upon his youth because according to the way the Jews aged people, from 60 to 70 was just the beginning of old age. Some of us have reached that, others haven't just reached that, but that was the beginning of old age. So someone in his 40s really was a youth. It may not appear like that nowadays, but it was then. And so we're thinking about him as an overcomer in his youth. We want to think about three simple things about uh, Caleb and then when I come to the end I want to show you how we can apply it to ourselves in 2023 in February in Korean Free Presbyterian Church first thing we notice about Caleb when we study his life we see Caleb as a slave now since Caleb was 40 years old at Kadesh Barnea Joshua chapter uh, 14 verse 7 they had to have been born in Egyptian bondage Exodus 1 and 2. Israel arrived at Kadesh Barnea, the place that's mentioned here in this chapter, about one and a half or two years after leaving Egypt. So he was born before the Exodus. So for about 38 years of his life, he had lived his life in slavery. You think about John chapter 5, you think about the man there who lay at the pool for 38 years, hopelessly lost, until Jesus passed by. Here's a man who's lived for 38 years as a slave until the time of redemption, the time of the Passover, when things began to change. He was born as a slave, and yet he died as a free man and a hero. Can we explain this? Yes, we can. And there's one word that explains it for us, grace. 
Grace, grace. Grace, tis a charming sound. Every one of us were born in spiritual slavery, bondage to Satan and sin. Egypt, as you know, can represent the world system opposed to God. Pharaoh pictures uh, Satan, the God of this world. So we were born in bondage to the God of this world. Strange to God and to grace. And at the time of Israel's bondage, as it grew, at uh, the time of their, uh, Israel's deliverance, uh, drew near, that bondage increased. And I have noticed over the years of ministry that some people, just before their conversion, they really seem to fly more in the face of God than ever before. It's just as if the devil knew that something was going to happen and he, he puts many obstacles in their way and makes them to become harder and harder. I've noticed that many times. Even people who came to meetings and the churches that I preached tell me just seem to get more rebellious and then the next thing we hear of conversion. And so the bondage is increasing upon the people who begin to groan and cry to God and then God moves and redemption by the power of the blood of the Lamb and does a wonderful, wonderful miracle. And so the day came when, Joseph, when Caleb heard the news that a deliverer had arrived in Egypt. God was going to liberate his people. He was going to set his people free, but he was going to do it in a strange way. That's the mystery of God. The manifestation of grace. It was not going to be by a military genius. It was not going to be by worldly strategy, nor by the edge of the sword, nor by force, but by the shedding of the blood of an alum. Here's Christ. We were born in captivity to the God of this world, born in sin, born in slavery to sin. But the glorious news of the gospel is in a most amazing fashion, salvation will be provided for us through the blood of the Lamb. And God was demanding faith in the appointed means of grace that he in sovereign mercy had ordained. It's a mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Ah, what a wonderful Savior. Moses uh, talked about an exodus, and that word exodus, as most of you will be aware, means the way out. God made a way out for his people through the blood of the Lamb. And God has made a way out for us by the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for sin. So this man, Caleb, had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He had been delivered from Egyptian bondage. He was given the promise of an inheritance in the promised land. Do you apply that to our own particular situation in life? We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been delivered from the bondage of this world. And we've been given the guarantee of a home in glory. And Moses was used to lead Israel out of Egypt. But he, a type of the law, could not lead them into the promised land. That was left up to Joshua, who points us to Christ. He was the one who opened the door. The law condemns us, the schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, to show us how wicked our hearts are. That can only condemn. 
But God, in his grace and in his mercy, sent his well-beloved son, a perfect spotless lamb, to redeem us and to bring us nigh to God and to save us from the condemnation of the law of God and to provide us with salvation. Only Jesus could do that for his people. For what the law could not do, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So here we see this man who was born a slave. Now he's redeemed by blood. Things are moving. God's at work in his life. And that brings me then to the second thing we know about this man, Caleb the spy. So he was a slave. That's how life began. He's redeemed by the blood. God is working now. God is doing great things. And the first glimpse we get of Caleb is at Kadesh Barnea when he's 40 years of age. We know nothing really about him up until that point of time. And then he's selected to be a spy to spy out the land of Canaan. As I said earlier, Israel arrived at Kadesh Barnea on the border of the promised land one and a half years, two years after their exodus from the land of uh, Egypt. Instead of believing God and moving in immediately then to possess their possession, they ask for men to spy out the land. Deuteronomy 1 verse 22. Caleb, who represented the tribe of Judah, was selected. Judah was the largest and most important of the tribes, and Judah means praise, so he came from the praising tribe, and here's a pointer to Christ as well, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The tour of inspection or the scouting campaign lasted for about six weeks, 40 days or thereabouts. Uh, which time was probably, during that time, they probably traveled maybe 500 miles. And that's a lot of miles on foot inside six weeks. Moses was on the mount 40 days in the presence of God. The spies spent 40 days in the land of Canaan proving the promises of God. And so they searched the land for six, for six, day, six weeks, 40 days, and everyone brought forth the fresh evidence of the veracity of God's word. So he's spying now. And we're told something that Caleb discovered as a spy. What did he discover as a spy? A land flowing with milk and honey, just as God had promised. So we see him, now he's scouting, or he is searching. And as he searched, he discovered something. Now you apply this spiritually. We who were once slaves, redeemed by precious blood, were saved by grace, then with some searching to do after that. Because Jesus tells us in John chapter 5, that we are to search the scriptures. So once a man is redeemed or a woman redeemed by precious blood, then they will go to the book. They will turn to the word and they will find in the word how God promises this and promises that and how he keeps his word and honors the things he promises to his people. So now we see this slave who had been redeemed by blood and now he's involved in a search. And... When he discovered a land full of milk with honey, that's exactly what God said about it. And those who prove God's word find it to be faithful. 
Well, you find the word to be faithful because God is faithful. And the word of God is very specific. He searched the land. And as he began to search, he began to discover things. And eventually, as they continued on, it led them out of the wilderness and it brought them to a place called Hebron. Hebron simply means fellowship, place of fellowship with God. So when we, as the redeemed of God, saved by grace, washed in precious blood, then we begin to search the scriptures. We find that God is true and God is faithful. He keeps his promise. He gives to us exceeding great promises for us to plead. And as we continue to study the word, then we begin to discover more and more things. And with the passing of time, that will bring us and lead us into the place of close fellowship with God. And you know something? He showed them the fruit of the land when they returned. He showed them the fruit of the land. They brought into the wilderness what the wilderness could not produce. And every believer redeemed by precious blood ought to manifest to the world the fruit that is contrary to it. It's the fruit of the Spirit that we read of in Galatians chapter 5, 22. It's the works of the flesh, plural. It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit. And then you read about the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit. So we as the people of God, as we walk with God and search the scriptures and prove the promises of God, then the fruit of the Spirit will be created or produced within us. And we will bring into the world something that is foreign to the world. Godliness, Christ-likeness. They, they discovered the great fertility of the land. But they also discovered the great foes in the land. They saw the magnificent grapes of the land. That was encouraging. But at the same time, they also beheld the mighty giants in the land. And the land, as far as I'm concerned, is typical of the spiritual inheritance which we can enter upon and enjoy in Christ. The milk reminds me of First Peter 2, verse 2. The sincere milk of the word. You don't give a six-week-year-old baby or a child a few months old to a, a, a steak or fish and chips. No, that would be a foolish thing. You choke the child. Not good for the, the digestive system. You get the child milk. When we're young believers, we, we live on the milk, the ABCs of the gospel. And then as we, we grow and develop, then we move on to, to, to deeper things. That's the way it ought to be in a way. Then they found honey. I thought about the Psalm 81, verse 16. It talks about the honey from the rock. Now, that's quite a paradox. A rock is one of the hardest substances, while honey is one of the sweetest things. By nature, sweet. God can bring sweetness out of hardness. Some of you may be going through a hard time, but God has a purpose for it. He wants to make that hard situation sweet for you. He wants you to taste and see that he is good. And he wants to give you honey from the rock. Honey from the rock. That's what he wants for his dear people. In the grapes, they produce wine. And that speaks of joy. But crushed grapes also speaks to us of wine. And wine 
It also is a type of the blood of Christ. And from time to time, when things are hard and difficult, we often need to bow and bend at the knee and we plead the merits and the value of the precious blood of Christ. Nothing but the blood. Are you going through a difficult time? Is it hard in the home, in the workplace, in the college, in the school, in life? Ah, there's honey out of the rock. God can give you sweetness out of the hard place and bring you to the place of redemption through the blood. And think about the blood and gaze upon the blood and and the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. But as a spy, he met a crisis. Now, a crisis reveals the man. It does not make the man. It reveals the man. Until the crisis uh, of the, the shipwreck in Acts chapter 27, Paul was just another prisoner. That's all he was. But when the crisis arose, he became the undisputed master of the vessel. He took control of the situation. As a spy, Caleb was devoid of fear, dominated by faith and distinguished by fervor. So we thought about two things. A slave, then he's a spy, he's searching out the land to uh, prove that God is faithful to his word. And then the final thing we notice, Caleb, the spokesman. Now you can read number 13 and you can dwell upon this yourself and you will discover there the record of the spies the men that were selected and so on the the responsibilities of the the, the spies what they had to do their responsibility and the report of the spies oh there's a contrast in the report that they brought didn't bring all the same report so after a six-week tour of inspection they brought back two reports the majority report that was the view of ten spies And then there's the minority report, the report of the two spies. The ten spoke favorably of the land. They didn't disagree on that particular point, but they did not speak about it enthusiastically. Somebody given their testimony. No enthusiasm. Dead. Lifeless. No energy in it. That was the kind of report. They said all the right things. Oh, yes, this is true. This is what God said. But they had no enthusiasm in it. They weren't really interested. It was accurate enough, but it was a negative cast sufficient to agitate the people. It certainly was a land flowing with milk and honey and the fruit they brought. Oh, it's tremendous. But you'll notice in Numbers, I think there's 13, uh, 28. There are two ominous words occur in the report. Nevertheless, Moreover, they're insurmountable difficulties, they say. Oh, we face these insurmountable difficulties. We're doomed to defeat before we even begin. Oh, what a message they brought. The people were waiting for them for six weeks. They're full of anticipation. They see them coming. They welcome them home. It's a great feeling, a great atmosphere. Oh, we're going to discover all about the land of promise. So these men, these ten men step up everything. Oh, God said, and this is true, and that's the way it is. Ah, but, oh, the insurmountable problems here. We can never do it. They pour cold water on the whole venture. We're doomed to defeat before we begin. 
That was the voice of unbelief. Then there's the, the vote of unbelief, ten against two. And then you have the verdict of unbelief. We're not able to go up against this people. You know what they said about their two colleagues who took the opposite view and gave the minority report? Well, go and stone them. Well, they had spent six weeks together, and because they brought the true report, it was a minority report. They said, okay, we've got to get these rid of these men. We've got to stone them to death. Oh, can you imagine what kind of a, an atmosphere that created? The Lord said, backing these two men up, about these ten men, they brought up an evil report. And then the two spies, they brought in the minority report. God, Caleb was their spokesman. They could not say enough about the land. They were captivated by it. It is an exceedingly great land. Let us go up at once. He couldn't wait to get at it. He couldn't wait to claim his inheritance. He brought, oh, there were giants there, but I'm going to take them on. I'm going to fight them. God has given me the promise. I believe God. That's what he said. And Joshua, he backed them up, of course. They too had seen the walled cities and the powerful people dwelling in uh, the cities. They saw the giants. They did not minimize these difficulties. They told it as it was. But there's one thing they did. They magnified the Lord and with great enthusiasm they stand and by they apply it with power. And they were really saying, we believe God. And Caleb was saying, I believe God. We've heard enough of this uh, discouraging uh, news. We need to move on right away. He displayed great moral courage when Joshua and him stood alone against his own brethren. The, the swiftly flowing tide of popular opinion was against him, but these two men stood for God and truth and righteousness. It wasn't easy. It took courage. It took courage to oppose the ten, even when they threatened to stone these two men. As Luther said, I cannot do otherwise, so help me. God, he took a stand. And God did help him. The nation wanted to go back. They wanted to go back again. Oh, they forgot all about the rigors and, and, and the violence against them. They soon forgot that. They didn't really know what they were talking about. They were walking in the flesh, you see. These other men were led of the Spirit of God. So here we have ten dragging the people back, dragging them down. And these two men, Caleb and Joshua, let's go on. Let's move on. The story is told of a man. He rode in the back of his car as it was being towed to the garage. This happened in the United States of America. And when they arrived at the garage, the tow truck driver turned to the man who sat in the car. And he said to him, I didn't think I was going to make it up that big hill. The man sitting in the back, he said, I didn't either. That's why I kept the brakes on so we wouldn't roll backwards. So here's the man. You can see the man in the tow truck. He's trying to push the truck up the hill. And you get this other boy sitting back, holding on to the steering wheel, his foot on the brakes. So you get the picture. 
Oh, here's Caleb and Joshua. Let's move on. They want to move on. They're at it. And then you get the other 10 boys are sitting back, holding onto the steering wheel, the foot in the brake. Desperation. To live without total de- dedication to Christ is the same as trying to go forward and to hold back at the same time. This man didn't want to hold back in any way. Can we learn from Caleb? What happened? Caleb and Joshua lived to enter and to enjoy the promised land. My, they enjoyed it after all those years of wandering. Ten spies and the unbelieving generation died in the wilderness. The slave, the spy. When I think about the spy, I thought about a man called Eli Cohen who was an Egyptian-Israeli spy, and he was best known for his espionage work in 1961 through 65 in Syria. He developed close relationships with the Syrian politicians and military hierarchy. And his most famous achievement as a spy was the tour of the Golan Heights in which he collected intelligence on the Syrian fortifications there. See, he'd he'd wormed his way in as a spy, and he was good at what he did. And according to unconfirmed but widely believed stories, he feigned sympathy with the soldiers exposed to the sun and arranged or recommended that certain kinds of trees will be planted at every position, military position, where the guns were and so on, and placed to provide shelter and the Israeli defense forces were alleged to have used the trees as a target markers during the Six-Day War, which enabled the Israelis to take the Golden Heights in two days. You can see the importance of a spy, but unfortunately for Eli Cohen, he spent too long with that lifestyle. He was apprehended. He was hanged in the square there in Damascus, and his wife was back in... Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, she watched the whole thing on the TV. The spy who stayed too long. Israel's man in Damascus stayed too long. Caleb stayed the right time, the time appointed by God. He did the reconnaissance work. He brought back a faithful report. And as a result, in due course, he inherited his prized possession. So let's apply this to us. What happened all those years before, all right, we're all born slaves to sin. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. As a result of that, we become searchers of the Holy Scriptures, discovering something of the promises of God and the mind of God that brings us into a place of fellowship and communion with God. And then we become spokesmen or spokeswoman for God because Caleb is standing there in the camp and he's speaking for God and to the people. He's taking a stand for God. He's declaring the truth. He's at variance with those who compromise the truth. Can we not see ourselves? here? Can we not glean anything from a story of the past day? I think we can. It's obvious. And may we not miss the mark 
And when it comes to our time to stand before God, may we be able to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You wholly followed the Lord, just like Caleb did. And now you're going to reap your inheritance. The benefit of going through with God. May God bless his word. We'll return in the will of God next time to another chapter in his life. We have been having good times of prayer and I want to thank you for participating in the times of prayer. If you can again tonight, we'll keep our prayer short and to the point and as many as possible. Maybe you've never prayed before, haven't prayed much. Maybe tonight you will venture forth by faith. Trust the Lord to help you. Talk to him the way you talked to me at the door, recognizing that you're in the presence of your heavenly Father. Gracious Lord, have mercy upon us tonight as we pray. Teach us to pray. Thank thee for thy presence in nights past. And Lord, we pray once again for a minister. We need to remember this often at the throne of grace. And as we draw near to thee tonight, it wouldn't do any harm to spend our times thinking especially on the minister. If we can't think about anything else to pray for, and there's lots of things to pray for, let everyone here tonight with a heart for the work of God in Korean engage the throne of grace, especially thinking about the need for a pastor. Oh God, unite our hearts in the place of prayer at the throne of grace. And dear Lord, have mercy upon us. For we need thee. We need the Lord to come and visit us. Visit us now tonight. Take away unbelief from our hearts. Anything that would be of a critical nature. A critical spirit. A hard spirit. 